Welcome to Interrevolutionary Radio with your host, Beth Green. This is James Maynard, your co-host. Today's topic is Secret Weapon Against Human Trafficking, Truckers. They're everywhere and virtually invisible. A conversation with Kendis Paris. Human trafficking, including sex slavery, is happening all over the globe. Approximately 21 million people are victims of human trafficking worldwide, including hundreds of thousands of at-risk kids here. But guest Candace Paris has discovered a secret weapon against it, and she's unleashed a campaign that's literally on a roll. It's called Truckers Against Trafficking, and it's a program she co-founded to train truckers to recognize and report suspected sex trafficking activities. Believe it or not, lots of trafficking happens at truck stops on our major highways, and truckers are the invisible eyes and ears who can be mobilized to spot signs of this ugly business and help take it down. Today, meet Kendis Paris, a woman who is helping create a movement, not even a trucker herself, hear how she got into this, and learn about the growth of this campaign. And let's discover how we can help, too. Human trafficking has no place in our world. Here's how truckers are helping stop it. And now, here's Beth. Hi, welcome to Interrevolutionary Radio. Well, I'm so excited to have Candice here. To, to tell you the truth, this is a story that I have never wanted to read anything about. So, <laughs> so I've been avoiding it for a very long time. But when I heard about Truckers Against Trafficking, I really wanted to find out. Because it's not that I didn't want to know because I didn't care. It's I didn't want to know because I felt so upset and didn't know what to do about it. So it always makes me much more willing to find out what's going on in our world when there's a good story, when there's something positive. And so I'm very excited uh, to meet Candace. But before that, we haven't had a chance to meet yet, so we don't know each other yet. But how we start our show is we always start with the news of the end of revolution. And Candace, I'd love to have you jump in and make any comment you want to as uh, James brings us the news before we bring you on. So please feel free to comment, cry, scream, or anything else, or cheer. Okay, take it away, James. Okay. Here at Interrevolutionary Radio, this week we have so many stories, the good, the bad, and the ugly, that we've just had to pick up, pick and choose, or we'd never get to our fascinating guests. So here's just a few. Our lead story is probably the most shocking thing we've ever heard, and we're giving you lots of the details. It's from The Guardian, January the 18th, 2016, and you can find the article on the internet if you want all the information. And, and here it is. The richest 62 people are as wealthy as half of the world's population. Did you get that? Did you get that? Did you get that? 62 people? 62 people. The number number is, I mean, it's unbelievable. That's the number of people you can get on a bus. Right. They have. As half of 7 billion people in the world. (laughs) Okay, go on. And this is according to Oxfam, a charitable organization, which is a coalition of charities. The vast and growing gap between rich and poor has been laid bare in a new Oxfam report showing that the 62 richest billionaires own as much wealth as the poorer half of the world's population. Time to coincide with this week's gathering of many of the super-rich at the annual World Economic Forum in Davos. The report calls for urgent action to deal with a trend. This trend is showing that 1% of people own more wealth than the other 99% combined. Okay, now did you get that? (laughs) 1% of the world's population has more wealth than more 
than 99% of the rest of us combined. So if you're sitting there thinking like, oh my God, I feel so sorry for those poor people over there, but this doesn't have anything to do with me, unless you're part of that all 1%, it has everything to do with you. Okay, Beth, please be quiet and let the man read the news. That's right. We're part of the 99%. (laughs) And now this is even worse. If anything, could, could could be worse. The wealth is getting even more concentrated by the year. The charity said that in 2010, it took 388 of the richest people to equal the wealth of the poorest 50%. Now, it takes only 62. (laughs) It's amazing. Even Christine Lagarde, the managing director of the International Monetary Fund, has called for action to reverse the trend in inequality. But Oxfam said words had not been translated into action. Oxfam said a three-pronged approach is needed. A crackdown on tax dodging higher investment in public services, and higher wages for the low-paid. It said a priority should be close to close down tax havens, increasingly used by rich individuals and companies to avoid paying tax, and which had deprived governments of the resources needed to tackle poverty and inequality. Oxfam cited estimates that rich individuals have placed a total of $7.6 trillion in offshore accounts adding that if tax were paid on the income that this wealth generates, an extra $190 billion would be available to governments every year. The charity said as much as 30% of all African financial wealth was thought to be held offshore. The estimated loss of $14 billion in tax revenues would be enough to pay for health care for mothers and children that could save 4 million children's lives a year and employ enough teachers to get every African child into school. Duncan Exley, the trust's director, said, inequality both globally but also in the UK is now at staggering levels. We know that such a vast gap between the richest and the rest of us is bad for our economy and society. We now need our politicians to wake up and address this dangerous concentration of wealth and power in the hands of so few. Now, what's the interrevolutionary aspect of this story? We want to tell you what we've learned, just learned about Oxfam. Oxfam is an international confederation of 17 organizations working in approximately 94 countries worldwide to find solutions to poverty and what it considers injustice around the world. Oxfam was originally founded in Oxford, England in 1942 as the Oxford Committee for Famine Relief by a group of Quakers, social activists, and Oxford academics. Beth? Well, I, I, you know, first I'm just staggered. I mean, I was just like in tears when I read this story. I, it's like it's so much worse than I even realized. But the great part of the story, and it relates directly to our guest, Candace, is what a couple of people can do. I mean, look, Oxfam was, uh, you know, founded by a bunch of nuts, right? A bunch of Quakers and <laughs> professors and whatever it is. And, and, you know, they are, it's important that they've, you know, they're trying to do something about world hunger, but they're also bringing information to our attention, like our guest is. And, and it just goes to show you that if you, you hear about these things and you say, oh, 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 well, what can I do? Oh, I, I can't do anything. Oh, it's so terrible. But, you know, pick something. Pick something that you want to do something about and do it. Have the guts to do it, and it can make a difference. So that's the positive side, and I hope that this story mobilizes some of our listeners to – I shouldn't say this to our beloved listeners, but get off your duffs. Come to our Facebook page of 
which is uh, http colon forward slash forward slash facebook.com forward slash the inner rev or just go to Beth Green and the inner revolution. You'll see all kinds of information that you need there. We have a statement that you can endorse about uniting all movements. Uh, you know, you, you'll get all kinds of information about our radio shows, great people, guests like Candace. You know, it's, it doesn't take that much in this world. I wasn't going to go on and on about this, but I can't help myself. It doesn't take that, that much in our world today just to get on the Internet and add your voice. So please, do it. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'll shut up now. The following story continues our ongoing coverage of what Muslims are doing to combat terrorism. It's from Independent, a British morning newspaper dated the 10th, the 10th of December, 2015. 70,000 Indian Muslim critics issue fatwa against ISIS, the Taliban, Al-Qaeda, and other terror groups. Nearly 70,000 Indian Muslim clerics have signed a fatwa against ISIS and other terror groups saying they are not Islamic organizations. Also, around 1.5 million Muslims visiting a shrine dedicated to a Sufi Islamic saint in the city of Ajmer have signed a petition against terrorist attacks. Mufti Muhammad Salim Nuri, one of the clerics who signed the fatwa, called on media organizations to stop referring, called on media organizations to stop referring to the groups, including ISIS, the Taliban, and Al Qaeda, as Islamic. The head of the shrine at Ajmer, Muhammad Asan Raza Khan, said, "It is written in the Quran that killing one innocent person is equivalent to killing all humanity." And now to somewhat more happy news. This comes from, the, from Oregon Public Broadcasting, January the 6th, 2016. Oregon utilities have agreed to support a bill that would phase out coal-fired, coal-fired power in Oregon by 2030. Is this fast enough? No, but it's a step. The proposed legislation also calls for doubling the amount of renewable energy the utilities generate by 2040. Apparently, the agreement is a rare example of utilities and environmental groups working together, and that should help get the bill through the legislature. Some of these folks we've never worked with before, so it is actually exciting to find some common interests, his spokesman said. You don't see Pacific Corp and Sierra Club on the same letterhead very often. Beth? Well, it's just such a nice inter-revolutionary story, isn't it? By the way, just for full disclosure, if you guys out there think you're hearing some weird noises like a phone ringing in the background, you're right. Do not run to have your hearing checked. You are right. There are weird noises, but that does not stop us, right? Like snow, like sleet doesn't stop the post office. So we're, we're moving on. But anyway, I think it's a great story because there is some movement. You know, it's like really the higher intelligence tells us that uh, we have to all get together to deal with the problems that we're facing as a planet. You know, it's like the income inequality. If, you, if people don't have money, they can't buy the goods. It's pretty simple, you know. Income inequality doesn't work for anybody, not just financially, but mentally. I mean, people become crazy when they have a lot and nobody else has any. And here's another story where environmentalists are getting together with the, the companies, the, uh, the, you know, the power producers, because they know that it's the wave and we all live on the same earth and we're all, exp- you know, experiencing climate change. And so, you know, it's only common sense. Anyway, there you go. There we go. And finally, another good, bad, and beautiful story from BBC News, Delhi, India, the 13th of January, 2016. 
This story comes from our producer, Christine. Indian acid attack survivor is the new face of a fashion brand. Ms. Lakshmi Say was 15 when a 32-year-old man threw acid at her face for rejecting his offer of marriage. That's the bad news. Now, here's the good news. Since then, she has become one of India's most outspoken advocates against the unregulated sale of acid, as well as for harsher punishment for the perpetrators of acid attacks. And now she's going to be the face of a new range of designer outfits for women in a campaign they're calling Face of Courage. This opportunity to represent an apparel brand was a platform for me to set an example for women like me to be confident and have courage despite their physical appearances. This was also a platform for me to send a clear message to criminals that women will not lose courage even after they are attacked with acid to destroy their physical beauty. This is what Ms. Say told the BBC. According to one estimate by the Acid Survivors Trust International, there could be as many as a thousand acid attacks every year in India alone, many of which go unreported. Isn't that amazing? It really is. This story acknowledges that there is a different kind of beauty than the one we're being sold, and it also gives a huge boost to the women who are victimized first by the attacker and then by the society. Beth? Well, you know, there is, you know, I don't know every day when I get up whether I should laugh or cry. I read stuff that just turns my stomach. And then I read about something like this. Because when I was coming up in the, I hate to tell you, the when, okay, so I was coming of age like in the 50s. And uh, there was only one standard of beauty. It looked like Doris Day. I had the wrong kind of hair. It was frizzy. It wasn't straight. It was, I mean, there was such, you know, your, your hemline had to be a certain length. I mean, there was such a narrow view of what beauty was. And if God forbid you should be three pounds over somebody's idea of what the perfect weight was, you know, it was bad. And so, you know, to see this kind of courage and the support from the society that there is a shift in consciousness. I mean, maybe we are having an inner revolution, which I keep claiming we are. And I hope I'm right. You know, where is we're getting into oneness, accountability and mutual support. That's what we're trying to promote is that we are one. We've got to really understand and care about each other and feel our oneness. And we're accountable for the impact of our behavior individually and collectively and we've got to support the whole we've got to support our world because our world supports us it's like supporting the environment if we don't support the environment we're all dead or have brain tumors or whatever it is so anyway it's touching to see that 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 there are people out there in this world who are doing something and one of them is today's guest Candace Paris, and I, I have a million questions for her, and uh, let's welcome her to our show. Hi, Candace. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Beth. It's a pleasure. Hi, Beth. Good to be here. Oh, you know, I'm so happy to meet you, Candace. Uh, first of all, I have a special love for truckers, which you don't know, <laughs> because uh, I had a, an ex-husband who was a trucker. An independent trucker, and I really also got to, so I got to know a lot about the lives of truckers and their wives, and I also was engaged in Ohio in the I won't tell you when uh, sometime in the seventies around a, an independent truck strike, and there's a real subculture of truckers, 
and they are like buds on the road and they're talking to each other and they have their own special language and everything. So I have a real fondness for truckers and I'm very excited to hear about what you're doing. But first, how the heck did you as a non-trucker, and I assume you were never a sex slave yourself, uh, how did you get into this? Oh, actually, it was my mother who came up with the original idea for this. Our family had started a ministry, and uh, we wanted to do something to combat trafficking. And Can you she explain rec- to me, hold on a second, exactly what do you mean by a ministry? So we started Chapter 61 Ministries, and uh, it was a uh, Christian-based organization, and our mission was real small. It was to combat the exploitation of human beings worldwide. Real doable there. (laughs) So that actually became our first initiative, and uh, that started in 2009. But uh, we turned TAT into its own 501c3 in 2011. Um, and TAT, uh, TAT meaning Truckers Against Trafficking. Correct, correct. It's just such a nice little simple acronym for it. Um, and I, I will tell you, I think in terms of how truckers talk about us, I think that's usually the, the name they pull out is, is TAT. So well, I love it. Is, it. is it like tattle on the, on the bad guys? I haven't thought about that. No, just for TAT. But uh, yeah, no, it works. It, it's nice and short and sweet and easy to remember. But what is it in you, would you say, that made you care enough to devote so much of your life? I mean, I don't know if you have another job, day gig, and this is your second job or, or third job, because I know you also have kids and a family, uh, or this is your whole life's work. But, you know, what is it in you that, had, that just responded to the issue of human trafficking? Well, as, as you guys were talking about just now with the news stories, I mean, there are a lot of atrocities out there. Um, but there was something, you know, I, I didn't really even understand or, or know the full extent of human trafficking, modern-day slavery in the world until I read a book by uh, David Badstone, the founder of Not For Sale. And um, the book is titled Not For Sale, and it's a great starter book for anybody who wants to learn more about human trafficking. And I basically, I read that in 2006, and before that, I don't think I could give you a working definition of human trafficking, but I just got to chapter three and I was so overwhelmed mm. uh, by the realities of, of what was happening out there that I flipped to the back of the book <laughs> to, uh, to get the, you know, to the what can you do section yeah. and raising awareness was, was one of those things. And so I spent the next year of my life with my dear friend and neighbor putting on a human trafficking awareness conference, which my mother attended and one of those workshop leaders was talking about training gas station employees along our nation's highways. Oh. And that's and she took that back and she was like, well, she saw an FBI statistic that they were finding women and children uh, forced into prostitution at places that truckers frequent. And she said, we need to, we need to target the trucking industry. And uh, that's how the idea was born. And uh, I think... I think really the motivation is that we see it we see it actually working. It's an idea mm-hmm. that just makes sense. It's a niche yeah. population. You know, they're trained to be vigilant and most of the time when these guys find out about the realities of domestic sex trafficking, their response is, I've got daughters, I've got granddaughters, how can I be a trucker against trafficking? I am absolutely just dumbfoundedly happy to no. hear that because one of the questions that I have of course is that uh, sexual slavery and prostitution are connected. And I'm sure that a lot of the lonely guys on the road 
are going to prostitutes. And to how do you, you know, bridge that or turn that around to say, well, wait a minute, this isn't just, you know, about a, a quickie on the road when you're a lonely guy, that this is really an industry that's exploiting women and children. How, what, what are you up against there, and, and how does that turn around? Well, absolutely. I mean, first of all, I would, I would tell you from my interactions with the industry, it's not the majority. Um, certainly, you have some who are purchasing commercial sex, as in every profession. Of course. And I think you're hitting the nail on the head. I mean, the reality is, is we have to tell the stories of the, the victims. We have to tell the stories of the now survivors. Um, we have to help people understand that we're not talking about prostitution. We're talking about forced prostitution. Mm-hmm. We're talking about a pimp who is in charge of either a minor or an adult because it's not just our kids that are being exploited. And once you start telling these stories and once you help them understand, look, I don't care if she's smiling. Um, You know, if she has a pimp, she's being forced to do this. I don't care what's coming out of her mouth. If if truly, you know, she's being forced to do this, this is a person who needs help. And she has been told if if you ask for help or you try and run or whatever, uh, you know, you're going to pay. You're either going to pay physically yourself. I'm going to kill your little sister. I'm going to take your, you know, I know where your mom lives. And a lot of times these pimps know the families. And so, you know, the victim is in a place where they feel like I, I literally have to do this or um, all of these bad things are going to happen to me. And those are those invisible chains that we talk about. So hoping truck drivers to understand that and not just truck drivers, but truck stop employees. I mean, we mm. talk about truck stops uh, all the time. That's one of the places this is happening. But hotel, motel employees need to be uh, educated on this um uh you know anybody who works at um you know uh, in an airline need to be educated about this i would love to see something started for bus drivers for taxi drivers but truck stop employees they're some of our best partners because why they're on the ground too and so we have some terrific national partners um who have come again to understand this issue and are assisting victims it's not just something that we want to see happen it's happening they're assisting victims just like truck drivers that's fantastic. Now, are, are you thinking that you might at some point move into some of these other industries, the comfort industries like hotels, motels, or, or are you trying oh, primarily to partner with other organizations that already exist? Well, like you mentioned, this is my full-time job, and uh, you know, TAT is not looking to to start these uh, new initiatives. What we want to do is actually consult. Um, you know, like you were urging your listeners, it is amazing what can happen for people who decide to take the initiative and to get out there. And so, we've actually been approached by somebody who's interested in approaching the bus industry, and they want to replicate our model. So, we're going to assist them in every way possible. But <sighs> We've got a huge mission. We've, you know, the trucking industry is 7 million strong. So wow. while we've made some great headways, we still have a long way to go. And I want to keep our staff really focused in on uh, saturating the entire industry. That's a brilliant strategy. Now, are you working with both uh, company drivers, independent truckers? Uh, what's the deal there? Good for you, Beth. It's so nice that you know some of the lingo. Absolutely. Oh, thank you. We work with, we're very strategic. We work with trucking schools because we think, hey, let's oh. get these guys train before they ever get out there. And oh, I will yes. tell you this, what? Ohio 
starting in July of this year, you will not be able to get your CDL, your commercial driver's license, in the state of Ohio without being tat drained first. Yay. And that happened because the captain of the Ohio State Patrol is a rock star, Mike Crispin, and he got it put into the CDL training. So we work with trucking schools. We work on that level. We work with actual the actual carriers themselves. So, yes, yeah, so if your company comes on board and you're a company driver um, and the and they sign up and they become a TAT trained company, then you will receive the training. Um, we also work with independent drivers, absolutely. Owner operators, anybody out there who's driving truck that wants to take our training, it is free of charge and available to them. And then, like I mentioned before, we work with the truck stops. Um, we, we definitely see them. They are frontline responders. Not only can they be trained and look for potential victims, but they become points of distribution for our materials. And then we work with state and national trucking associations as well because they have become a fantastic conduit for us to get our message out. When you think about that there are almost 400,000 trucking companies in the United States alone and 95% of them operate 30 trucks or fewer, it is a huge task to reach all of these guys. So that's really the task in front of us and so we use all those entry points uh, as we can as well as law enforcement. We work with state patrols especially uh, all across the nation to get this information into the hands of truck drivers. I have like a million questions, so I have to pick one uh, next. But do, are you getting any resistance from anybody? I mean, the pimps aren't going to come out publicly and attack you but, because they have to be undercover. Yeah. <laughs> Although uh, I do want to know about that side too. But first, are you getting resistance or, uh, you know, are all these organizations immediately, oh, yeah, or do they put it down or where are they in their heads? You know, the vast majority, and I'm not just saying this, the vast majority, once we get to a decision maker level, and that's yeah. really the key, uh-huh. we get the program decision maker level, it, it's pretty much a no-brainer for most people. You know, their, their response is, well, why wouldn't we do this? Um, certainly, though, that there are some hurdles to, to jump through. You know, we're asking people to, some, at some, some of the larger companies, pay for trainings for thousands of employees. Well, that does translate into dollars, whether we provide the materials or not. So there's sometimes the, the companies have to figure out how they're going to adopt this training. But the vast majority of folks, yes, once they understand the issue and we get to that decision-maker level, really do want to come on board. That's really good. Now, I think you said something earlier about something being free or the training being free. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So, so, but you just talked about the dollars for the training. So could you unconfuse yes, me? <laughs> absolutely. So when we, we provide top-notch trucking-specific training materials on domestic sex trafficking for the trucking industry, but we ask the safety directors of companies to implement them during training and orientation. So what the company has to accommodate is they have to pay for that training time for their drivers. So while we'll provide the materials, they still have to pay for those drivers to sit through the training. Oh. And that's for the cost of the company comes in. I see. And of course, for the independent truckers, they have to do it in their own time. Correct. So do they, uh, do you provide training like on, at weird hours? When, of course, dry, truck drivers drive all the time. <laughs> but I yeah. mean, do you, you know, like, are you trying to accommodate so that they don't have uh, uh, too much of a conflict? 
Well, because of the, the breadth of the industry that I was just mentioning, we have training tools that can go places where we physically can't. We have our basic training DVD, which uh, you can check out on the homepage of our website at truckersagainsttrafficking.org. And it really does give a comprehensive view of what domestic sex trafficking looks like in terms of how the industry will see it and how a truck driver or a truck stop employee should respond. And then we have the wallet card. And the wallet card is fantastic because it's this little card that exactly fits inside of a wallet and it gives the definition of human trafficking, gives signs to look for, questions to ask. We actually had a survivor. We worked with her. She was trafficked on a lot. What are the questions that if you uh, had gotten in conversation with a truck driver, what questions could he or she ask you that would help them understand that you were a victim that needed help? Um, And then we worked with law enforcement to come up with what is the actionable information that a truck driver or a truck stop employee needs to call in and report so that you can open an investigation. So all that information is on that wallet card. So we ask companies or schools or whoever's implementing the training, watch the training DVD, review the information in the wallet card, keep that handy so you always have the hotline number, um, and then you know, you're know you on your way with the training. But we've also uh, created an online training portal for folks as an additional source of training. And then TAT, where we can, we do go into companies ourselves and we'll, we'll perform the training as well. Well, it sounds so comprehensive, like you're, you're thinking of everything, you're looking at every angle. Now, let's say I'd like to know some of these things because maybe some of us out here are, uh, you know, falling over uh, victims of human sex trafficking and we don't even know it because we're hanging around somewhere. And maybe you could clue us in a little bit about what to look for because I think there is an attitude uh, you know, a very disparaging attitude towards a lot of people engaged in, uh, you know, prostitution of like, oh, it's their fault. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're the scum of the earth. I also worked with prostitutes, by the way, <laughs> uh, ironically enough, um, years ago. And, uh, you know, so, so very few people even know how much duress so many of these uh, sex workers are under. So could you clue us in a little bit as to what to look for? Well, I think you're hitting the nail on the head with that first part, and that really is the cultural shift that needs to occur. We need to understand that it's not the oldest. People think about prostitution as the oldest profession, and it's not a profession. It's the oldest oppression. Uh, um, there are no such things as, you know, uh, you know, when we're talking about human trafficking, we're not talking about sex workers. We're not talking about prostitutes, even though we hate that word. We don't want to sum up anybody yeah. by a, a, a particular word. It's a person. Yeah choosing to sell commercial sex or whatever it may be. But when we're talking about sex trafficking, we are talking about somebody who is being forced to sell themselves for money and a third party is making a profit. And the American public, everybody has to understand that difference. And I think it's a matter of taking a second look and it's a matter of addressing our language, you know, whether we are talking about pimps, um, you know, in, in, uh, I think it was 2000, uh, uh, seven, the number one Halloween costume in the United States was a pimp. No. And they also, let's see, I think the song who won the, the um, uh, an award for best song that year also was It's Hard Out Here for a Pimp. We have to start addressing that. We have to talk to our kids about this. This should be conversation, uh, you know, t- table uh 
conversations that we have around our dinner table because we have to get to the root of this glorification of pim culture and how we think about commercial sex. So that really is the first uh, step in this. Um, and I think, you know, some of the basic signs to look for, I don't care wherever you are, but one, if you see a minor selling commercial sex, any child under the age of 18 selling commercial sex, whether they think they're choosing it or not, is by federal definition a victim of human trafficking. There are really? no ands or buts about it. So any child in that situation. So if your daughter's friends or or um, she starts talking about this party and, and there are certain boys that are there and um, or, or any of these kinds of things, the... the these should be some red flags in terms of um, knowing who our kids are talking to on social media. Are your children yeah. hanging around with much older men? It is typically, although we know that there are some female pimps, but typically the pimps are older. Um, typically the girls are younger. Um, do they I, have- typically the pimps are men. And typically, a lot of times, yes, they're men and and they're older men. Um, And, of course, it is much easier to manipulate a child. What is it? The brain does not actually fully form until the age of 25. It's much easier to go after a younger child, somebody who's in their teens. Um, And so, you know. And glamorize it. Absolutely. Of course, you're going to, he's never going to come up and go, look, you know, I'm going to sell you for, uh, to, to men for sex. I'm going to take all your money, crush your dreams and beat you while I'm at it. It's often it's Romeo pimping. It is, Hey baby, I love you. I'm going to provide a life for you. Usually there's a three to four month grooming process involved. What's happening in that grooming process? Well, she is telling him, all of her hopes and dreams, he's going to then take that information and use it against her um, later on down the line. Oh, you know what? You just got to help daddy. It's right, daddy or uh, my boyfriend. You just got to help daddy pay the bills and then you know what we'll get to you know uh tahiti or or we're gonna get you into college or we're gonna get you wherever it is he she has told him she needs to go so you know if you're if your child is starting to have relationships with people on facebook um if they become withdrawn if if they're not open if they want to start meeting somebody um at the mall why we let our kids and just drop off our girls at the mall and just let them walk around for hours is beyond me malls social media um, all sorts of places that, that are places that these pimps will recruit their new victims. And who are they looking for? They're looking for the girl who is not super self-assured. They're looking for the girl who they can manipulate. They're looking for the girl who, oh, baby, you're so beautiful. Um, let me, you know, come with me and I'm going to make your dreams come true. I mean, those are the kinds, these, these guys are suave. They're some of the best marketers out there. Um, and they're not going to, you know, every now and then you certainly hear the case of the just bash over the head kidnapping, but more often than not, it is someone she has come to know, someone she has placed her trust in. And therefore it is so important that we continuously talk to our children. And you know what? And that's, uh, I'll go back to, Man, be a safe home. If you if you are in a position to be a safe home for your daughter's friends, be that safe home. You know what? They have a fight with mom and dad, and a lot of times, if they've been talking to this the the pimp, right? Uh, Tina Front, great story here. Tina Front, one of the most amazing survivor leaders, um, actually was. Uh, 
had a fight with her parents. Her first call was this guy who had been grooming her for about four to five months. Her, she was mad at her mom. Her mom would not extend her curfew. She made a call to him. He said, I'll pick you up in 10 minutes. She snuck out of the house. She went with him. That night, he baited the switch, and uh, she became a trafficking victim. And so we need places for these kids to go to um, and, and, and safe homes for these kids to go to so they're not calling, right, the guy that they've met at the corner store, the guy they've met at the mall, or the guy that they've met at Facebook. So we need to be in our kids' lives. We need to be talking to them. We need to know who they're interacting with. This is so fascinating, Candice. You know, I can't help. This may sound nuts to you. I can't, I can't help but think about ISIS. The recruiting of vulnerable young people who don't have their heads screwed on yet and aren't, you know, aware yet about what's really happening in the world. And they get flattered or they get caught up in some fantasy, and then they end up in a nightmare. So what happens to these kids? Do they stay in the local area, or do these uh, traffickers you know, take them down the road? I mean, what, where do they go? Well, it runs the gamut. I mean, one of the most famous stories is Teresa Flores, who uh, went home with a boy who raped her and put it on film. He then continued to use that film. Um, Every night, he would make her sneak out of her bedroom at midnight, pick her up, and take her out and allow his friends to rape uh, her, and they would pay him. And that happened all within her neighborhood. He never left. She never left state lines. Um, But then you also hear plenty of cases where the pimp literally will take them across state lines, um, although trafficking movement is not required for trafficking to occur. It's just the selling uh, of somebody for sex or labor for money. Well, I love the fact that you've just educated us again. I mean, I always thought of trafficking as you pick somebody up in Cambodia and drop them off in L.A. So uh, it's very helpful. I mean, you're bringing us so much information. What should we do if we suspect that somebody is a victim of human trafficking? That's a great question. Uh, There is a National Human Trafficking Resource Center. It's run by Polaris. They're based in D.C., but this is the national hotline number that anyone anywhere suspecting human trafficking, whether it's forced labor or commercial sex, can call. And that number is one 888 3737-888. I'll say it one more time. one 888 And whether you just have a hunch or you've got some hard evidence or you just need to talk to somebody, they have 24-7 trained call specialists answering that number there to answer your questions. And if it turns out you literally have enough evidence, they will turn that over to law enforcement for an investigation. But they are the best in the business in terms of getting those questions answered, helping people understand whether or not they're looking at a human trafficking trafficking situation. Um, so we, we, we tell our truckers, you know what? Make the call. Make the call save lives. Even if you're not sure, if something just in your gut is saying this isn't right, go ahead and make the call. Um, if you're wrong, okay, it's 10, 15 minutes out of your life. But if you're right, yeah. what a difference it'll make. Now, what about adult women? Because you're, you're telling, or boys. I want to get to the boys question yep. in a minute. But what about adults? Because you've talked about the situation of any under any minor mm-hmm. uh, is a who has a pimp is a victim of uh, human trafficking. Uh, but what about an adult, and what do you look for there? 
Well, I'll tell you, any any minor selling commercial sex, whether there's a pimp present or not, is a victim of sex trafficking. And that's a great distinguishing point. Okay. So what we tell truck drivers is if you see a kid selling commercial sex or you suspect pimp control. So that is where when you have an adult uh, selling commercial sex. Now, obviously, prostitution in most places is still illegal. Um, so, yes. you know, that that is illegal. But when we're talking about sex trafficking, we're, we're at, we ask our truck drivers, truck stop employees, hey, look for signs of pimp control. Does she talk about making a quota? Does she get dropped off in a car and there are others with her and all of a sudden you've got three or four people who are, you know, walking around the place, knocking on doors, uh, propositioning people? Do you see signs of branding? Oftentimes, pimps will literally tattoo their victims across their neck, on their chest, um, places that are visible to, to, you know, just the average witness. Wow. So, and, and they put all sorts of hideous things on there, daddy's girl or moneymaker or whatever it may be. But this is a sign of ownership because that is what a pimp thinks of uh, his or her victim. Um, so these are some of those things, you know, that, that truck drivers, anybody can be paying attention to, uh, paying attention to. And just because she's over 18 or he and, and I thank you for bringing up the boy thing because obviously this is happening to uh, some of our American boys and I would say young men uh, not just uh, boys under 18 um, anyone who's in those situations they're worthy of a phone call and I think this is something that the movement needs to pay attention to the sex trafficking, anti-trafficking movement because our compassion cannot run out at the age of 18. And you know what? Just because she turns 18, it doesn't mean like the pimp says, okay, well, you've graduated. Congratulations. You know, I hope you have a good life. <laughs> right, He's going to college. make money off of her as much as he can. Absolutely. Now, are there any international um, sex slaves in the U.S. that have been imported for that purpose? Oh, sure. Foreign nationals. Now, no one's got hard numbers, you know, sure. um, but but absolutely. I mean, victims, victims are taken out of the United States and brought over to other countries. And certainly foreign nationals are brought into the United States. I mean, obviously, Mexico is one of our closest neighbors. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that we see victims of human trafficking or law enforcement sees the those folks all the time. But but certainly folks from uh, Cambodia, folks from El Salvador, um, you know, the, the you know, you see domestic um, uh, casework, um, you know, domestic servitude uh, happen quite often, uh, actually, with foreign nationals. You know, kids that are brought over from other countries and they're, hey, you're going to go to school and your life is going to get better. And then they're forced to work, you know, 14, 15 hour, uh, you know, 14, 15 hour a day, sometimes more. And they're in charge of the cooking and, and the cleaning and the child care and everything else and never let out of the house. Um, so absolutely, you know, you, you definitely have foreign national victims, um, you know, being um, trafficked right here in the United States. Now, if, if you have a sense of that, if you see that this is not about sex slavery now, do you still call that same number? Yes. Thank you for bringing that up. Absolutely. That hotline is for any kind of trafficking, forced labor or commercial sex. So please call that if you suspect something is suspicious. 888-3737-888. Yeah. And again, it's not just kids. Oh, no, absolutely. You know, the the numbers, and when we're talking global, the numbers are 20.9 million victims of human trafficking globally, and globally, 68% of them are trapped in forced labor. 
Well, I recently saw an article about people working with, I think it was shrimp or something. And I can't, I can, but you don't know me, Candace, but I have the memory of, you know, I don't know what, a sieve. And, um, but they had their hands in ice cold water all day long. They were all human trafficked. And I believe it, I know, it, I think it was in Thailand, actually. And that we're eating some of the biggest companies or Red Lobster or whatever it was, uh, some tuna companies were, not tuna, but uh, other kind of seafood companies were using slave labor in order to bring cheap food to our tables. Now, we don't even think about what goes into what ends up on our table, do we? But when when you're talking about the amount of forced labor there is, it's impacting every one of us. In fact, one of the stories we had on today was about those kids in the cobalt mines who are creating batteries for our Samsung, you know, appliances. Where it's just amazing how much we are actually integrated and how much human slavery is integrated into our everyday lives and we're completely in the dark about it. Yeah, that is, I think, a very large challenge is addressing the supply chain. And I think that more and more awareness, um, you know, Ian uh, Urbina from the New York Times has done that excellent piece on on what you're mentioning. And uh, especially a lot of the trafficking that happens um, out at sea uh, in terms of of capturing all of that seafood and and how it's so hard to actually police international waters. Um, And, and, you know, we are seeing more and more companies also be becoming aware of this. Some some of the companies, I would imagine, are aware. Some of the companies aren't, um, especially when you look down, you know, four, five, six uh, contractor subcontractors to get yeah. the product there. But this is becoming more of a national issue. You know, Americans are waking up to, uh, to this reality and saying, you know, as a consumer, I don't want to purchase anything that is tainted by slave labor. Um, I think, though, that, that patience is important. There's a, there's a, a, a patient urgency that we need mm-hmm. to have. We don't want to sit back and say, well, this is too big of a problem. At the same time, we don't want perfect to be the enemy of good. And mm-hmm. so we need to work with these companies and, and come alongside of them and say, you know, um, you know, how can we work together? How can the nonprofit world assist industry? Um, you know, where does the government come in and how can we all move forward? Because again, I think once you get it to that decision maker level most people are appalled uh and and they want to do something they don't they don't want to um you know have their product uh intermixed with slave labor and so um there's some fantastic ngos out there like made for good that are working with companies and verite uh working with companies to clean up their supply chain so we're seeing some positive signs but again we, we still have a long way to go well, I'm really glad to hear that because, uh, frankly, sometimes I get a little bit <laughs> discouraged. We just had we just interviewed a guy named Andrew Morgan, who is the uh, the director of the True Cost, and it was about the fashion industry. I don't know if you've seen it, Candace, but you know it's horrible, and uh, it's all these this fast fashion, frantic buying of cheap products, cheap clothing. And he said, what is the true cost? And they're showing the dumping of pollutants into the, you know, into the rivers, the sickness of the, the, the workers who have to work there. Now, you know, the workers in Bangladesh, um, you know, what I think is so striking about this, and I don't know if you agree with this, but I'm just, you know, just putting out my opinion, is, you know, what is forced labor? 
so many ways that people can be forced into doing something. You know, one can be, you know, obvious somebody's going to beat you up or they, you know, bamboozle you into it and then they kidnap you. But what about the people in those Bangladeshi factories who are working for less than $3 a day who are being forced because they're, the wages are low and they have no other opportunities because our companies believe that profits come before people. I know it's kind of a, a tacky slogan, but it's so true. And, you know, they are very aware of what they're doing because they go and they could put pressure on people in the supply chain to come up with cheaper and cheaper and cheaper products so that they can sell them to us so we can buy the things we don't need and that we can then uh, pollute our landfills. And there is a kind of a cynical, sinisterism about that too. And I think the same thing is true of sex trafficking because in my experience, um, it, which was very long time ago in working with uh, women who were uh, for commercial sex, uh, so many of them were really forced on uh, sometimes invisibly, either because they really could not make enough money in their jobs and they were desperate and they had to feed their kids and they went out and they became, you know, uh, sex workers, or because on an emotional level they had no other sense of self-esteem and somebody gave them the idea that, that was, this was going to give them some value and some power. There are so many levels of force. And you're talking about the most egregious and the most obvious, and, I, and, and it has to start there. I mean, we have to put a stop to this. But I think we also need to open our hearts and our minds to all the various levels of force that happen when people are not given the opportunities they need, the education they need, the income, the paychecks they need in order to live a decent life like the rest of us want. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these are a lot of the root causes that you're getting at. And um, it is a question of power, um, which is why Truckers Against Trafficking takes a very strong stance against the legalization of prostitution. Um, And I believe in this very, very strongly because what we're basically saying if we legalize prostitution is that it's okay to have a class of people that are available for purchase by another class of people who most typically have more money than them. It's Mm -hmm. an economic power issue most often at the heart of this. Mm -hmm. And to me, I think our society can do better than that. Um, And when we talk about, and I understand that there are people out there who say they love sex work and it's for them. Um, and And that may be true, and I'm not disputing that, but they are in the minority when we look at the global numbers. And again, we have to ask ourselves, is this really okay to create this class of people um, that are available for exploitation just because they have most often an economic disadvantage? Absolutely. And that really goes to the heart of all of it, doesn't it? It's like, how do we change the conditions in our country and in our world? And let's stop pitting American workers against these workers outside of our country, you know, saying that it's okay for them to work for slave wages <laughs> and because it isn't okay for anybody to work for slave wages and we'd all be better off if everybody was given a decent life but I'd better shut up because I have to ask James so before don't go away Candace because James is going to tell us that, but I can't believe our show is over he's going to tell us about next week's show and then I want you to come back and we're well, going to say goodbye okay oh. okay coming up next week are we allowed to question capitalism why not Hear Professor Richard Wolff, who says there's a better way. 
in a world where 62 individuals own as much as half the world's that half the world's population owns, where 1% of people own more than the other 99% combined, where for decades DuPont knowingly poisoned us by using a toxic cancer-causing chemical, where since the 1990s, big oil has been denying climate change while secretly preparing for it, where workers are told that a $15 an hour minimum wage is too much, and where real wages are going down, in this world, don't you think it's time to ask if capitalism is working for us? If you were alive after World War II, you saw people being fired, even imprisoned, for questioning capitalism. But why should that stop us? Dr. Richard Wolff, a former economic professor at the University of Massachusetts, has long had the guts to question the system. He says there is a better way, a form of socialism. What is it? Could it work? How does it relate to the inner revolution? Tune in. Big business and billionaires may control the government and the economy, but they can't control us. Now, for a final word. Well, thank you, James. You know... In my heart, I still believe that people can turn around. And, and Candace has given us story after story about how people, when they're awakened, will do the right thing. And, you know, we believe in the inner revolution of oneness, accountability, and mutual support. I don't have answers about how we should reorganize our world, but I have a lot of questions. And I do know that we need to change our hearts. And I, I want to applaud Candice for everything that she has done and thank her so much for bringing this absolutely vital information to us. Candice, is there anything you would like to close with, anything that you would like to share for our, in our last minute? Well, I just want to thank you so much for having me on the show today. And uh, I think, you know, what you're saying is right in the sense of one person really can make a difference. And imagine if we all gathered our strength together to do that. And, you know, we are seeing that with the American trucking industry. And I'm just so amazed at their uh, integrity, uh, their passion for this issue, um, and at the way that they are truly saving lives uh, one day at a time. So uh, it's been great to get on and, and talk a little bit about their story. I very, very appreciative. Thank you. Bless everybody. Please, let's campaign to unite. Let's get all of our causes together. That's the name of our campaign, to unite all movements. We're all in this for the same thing. Go to our Facebook page and sign, endorse our statement that we should all fight for one another, not just for ourselves. Thank you, thank you. See you next week. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Inner Revolutionary Radio with Beth Green and James Maynard. The next episode will broadcast live next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And don't forget Inner Revolutionary TV on voiceamerica.tv. Think outside the box and join us.